1: This week on the Garage Beers Podcast, it's episode 181, and we have not one, not two, but three special guests. We've got Gerard Cherry from ESPN Cleveland and the Browns Radio Network to talk all things Browns. We've got Todd Sharrock the VP of Communications, for the Blue Jackets to talk about everything going on with them this offseason. And we've got Felix Wright, former Cleveland Browns defensive back, to talk about the Browns and his time with the Browns and shares a lot of great stories with us. So coming up the driveway, Unfold your favorite lawn chair, crack open a cold one, and join us for Garage Beers. What is going on, everybody? It is Tuesday night. It is nine o'clock. It is the OBR streaming network, and that means it's time for one thing it's time for the Garage Beers podcast. Welcome on into Garage Beers Live, episode 181. Did that not? It's Ooh, better. That's better. A, that's a there it bop. is. I gotta, I gotta. I'll discard this beer and never yeah. drink it again after shame, that shame, weak Shame, pop. Shame,
2: weak shame, pop. shame, shame. It must have been a treehouse cam.
1: <laughs> oh, how dare you! <laughs> now we got a great show, episode 181, maybe one of our most jam-packed shows that we have ever done uh, here uh, in 181 episodes. This one is going to be a great time. We have got three special guests joining us. We had great conversations with Gerard Cherry, with Felix Wright, both about the Browns. You do not want to miss those. We're going to get to Gerard in just a minute. Uh, and then right in the middle, sandwiched in the middle of this episode, uh, we're very excited about this. we got a buddy of ours, Todd Shirak, He's the VP of communication for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And he's going to come talk to us about the, the state of affairs with the Blue Jackets right now. Uh, everything going on. He'll, he'll kind of share with us a little bit about that. And we'll look at the blue jackets and how they move forward, uh, from, uh, well, basically what happened when they hired a coach and, and then they had to separate from him almost immediately. So, uh, we will get into all of that, uh, here on the OBR streaming network tonight with you as always, I'm your host, Michael Keith. Find me online at garage beers, Mike joining me in the garage tonight. First over on the East side of Cleveland, it's Chad Meyer. Find him online at garage beers. Chad, what up, Chad? Just a fuck it kind of night. I like it, JD.
2: <laughs> I like it a lot.
1: Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, how you, how you doing, boys? Good, man. man uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Disney. I'm tired and I'm sad. But other uh, than that, I'm so good.
2: Ah, That's all right. Still got plenty of time to make up for it. Uh, boys, I was thinking today, you know, like I work my day job. I work in a warehouse, which is boring and repetitive. Right. So I just I don't know. You know, my brain, I think of ways to just entertain myself or just ask questions to people to to entertain uh, to entertain them as well, just to get them through the day. So I was just curious, uh who did you guys like who what celebrity were you guys crushing on when you were when you were kids? Like who was your first crush? Like mine was I loved Alyssa Milano. Like who's the boss? Ooh. Like she was she was she was hot. <laughs> she was hot. who's the Alyssa, who's the boss? Alyssa Milano was like that. That was awesome.
3: I can Gotta only be. ever
2: remember
4: it. Oh, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say, for me, it's got to be Jennifer Anderson, Friends. Like, yeah, that era was go. just like, yeah.
2: There you go, Rachel. Uh, she got off the plane.
1: Yeah. We oh, surge spanga. in the comments with a classic yeah. Topanga from Boy Meets World. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. all crushed yep. on Topanga. Um, okay, uh, you know what? I've had the same celebrity crush my entire life. I still have it. I've had it as long as I can remember. But I think that's my second one. Because I think my very first celebrity crush... Tiffany Amber Theisen,
5: oh yeah, saved by the bell. Kelly I Kapowski's
1: mean, a good one. She was probably oh, my absolutely. one B. Yeah. Kelly Kapowski, growing up, was saved by the bell. Get get out of town, get out of town. Mariah Carey yeah. was a huge one for me too, but yeah. my biggest all time, and this was from when I was a kid, and it has lasted until now. Jennifer Love Hewitt is my is my all time number one. Uh, I yeah. thought you I thought you were going to say B Arthur uh,
4: B <laughs> Arthur.
1: I love the Golden Girls. Thank you. For I just seeing. saw a video oh, of Mariah going. Carey.
4: It was like an interview she did back in like early 2000s. And, and it was over in, in London. And the interviewer was like a new show and was asking something about like, oh man, like it's not as bad as paying your electric bill. And <laughs> she just straight up was like, well, that's free in America. Oh God. Oh, no. <laughs> as if she's never had to pay an electric bill in her entire life. <laughs>
1: uh chocolate bear man uh especially man early versions of mariah whoa she was she oh, kind of got almost mariah's season too oh it is He's, almost she's about to come season. out of the woodworks yeah yeah <laughs> uh good question chad uh you've already heard his voice plenty of times but also joining us down in nashville tennessee joey whalen at garage beers joe what's up joe
4: you've heard my voice enough at this point so uh I'm good. Just kidding. Uh, no, um, okay. just move on. Have you ever move like, on. have you ever like cut your fingers so bad? You have one of those like, Oh shit, hard dropping moments that like I got myself good with that one. Oh God. Were you making bacon again? You
6: do? Why do you know? I was cleaning.
4: Out. Yeah. Yeah. This one was bad. Uh, so I fractured my heels. So I'm on, you know, like an ibuprofen kind of like a blood thinner <laughs> or whatever. And I was cleaning uh, a knife with a scrub daddy in the sink and my hand slipped under the knife and I brought it back up. Uh, right on the edge. Uh, and when I tell you, like you put it under water and it took it right out. And I was just like, poof, it was like, you, ah, dude, oh, you didn't oh. cut yourself.
2: You stabbed yourself. Oh, I sliced
4: it. Oh man. I do cook bacon naked. That is actually a true fact. It's strange. Oh that God. Now. It drives uh, Maddie wild Serge. It drives Maddie wild.
1: <laughs> yeah. Literally. She has oh, to leave. Oh. Uh,
2: <laughs> only bacon though no, nothing else only bacon. no
1: Now we got like i said we got a great show uh, we're gonna get to our first special guest uh here in just a second but before we get to any special guests we're garage beers we're called garage beers for a reason it's time to do our garage beers of the week where we share with you what we're drinking for this episode you get in the comments share with us what you're drinking for this episode and uh and we'll go from there so boys let's send it around the horn uh what are your garage beers of the week chad uh, the Josef Hefeweizen yeah, same. Uh, so doing it again, yeah, 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 yeah. Clearing out the fridge.
2: I like clearing <laughs> out the old stuff before I get to the new stuff. It's fine. All right, hey, yeah. fair enough.
1: All right. fair enough. Yeah, it's German beer time. It's it's time. It's time, Chad. German beer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yo, what about you?
4: Uh, we're going through the Ryan Geist variety pack, and I have Pretty Bird for Ryan It's The Pale Ale. It's a yummy Pale Ale. I like it a lot. Pretty Bird. Can you say pretty, pretty, bird? Bird. pretty bird? Pretty bird. You
1: sold my dead bird to a blind kid. <laughs> Our pets heads are falling off. Uh, let's see. We've got Kevo says after last night, Grano and tonic that I wouldn't advise that. I wouldn't advise <laughs> I that combination. Oh, uh, we got, but I get it at the Brown's same time. Bandito. Brown's bandito in the comments, having a barktoberfest. Great choice. Cause it's that time. It's time. It's time. Uh, my beer is, I saw this at the grocery store and I am super excited to try it. Great Lakes released a barrel-aged Imperial Amber Ale. This is a twelve point one percent beer, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be drinking my pain away by the end of this. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, it's a lager aged in bourbon barrels. Uh, It's part of the Great Lakes 35th anniversary. So shout out to Great Lakes. Nice. Uh, So yeah, those are our garage beers. Keep putting yours in the comments. Join us live here. Be a part of the show. Our interview, we did a couple interviews uh, before this. We've got one live interview coming at 9.30. Again, we will be joined at 9.30 by Todd Chirac from the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, to talk about everything they've got going on. Uh, We will also uh, show you our interview that we did with Felix Wright uh, around 10 o'clock in the show. But the first thing that we're going to do now that we're getting into episode 181 is we're going to send it over to an interview that Joe and I did with – the, the Brown sideline reporter for the Browns radio network with uh, ESPN eight fifties uh, host of the next level with our buddy Emmett golden. We talked uh, to Gerard cherry about the Cleveland Browns and we're going to send it over to that interview right now. All right. Now we are really excited to be joined by uh, uh, an awesome special guest here. A guy that we've been looking forward to talking to for a while. We've talked to his co-hosts, we talked to some of his buddies on the radio network for the Browns. Now we're really excited to get him in uh, from the Cleveland Browns radio network. He's the sideline reporter and he's the host of the next level on ESPN Cleveland with our buddy Emmett Golden. It's Gerard Cherry. Gerard, welcome into the Garage
6: Pierce podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. I wish I was joining you guys on a much more joyous and happy occasion.
1: Man. Uh, yep. <laughs> this has been a, this has been. Uh, a Tuesday that I haven't been able to really explain. I said, man, I've been mad. I've been much more mad about Browns games. It, go back last year. I, that Jets game they lost, I could not have been more mad about a football mm-hmm. game. I don't know that I've ever been sad like this after a football game. Like, I, yeah. I just, I feel like the whole city of Cleveland is just down in the dumps today.
6: Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. But I think I'm a combination of sad and mad, so I can't completely <laughs> <any proof. laughs> Just put the mad part out of it because I am that too, but definitely sad. And the crazy part about it is like I got home last night about four o'clock in the morning,
1: uh.
6: riding the bus, team bus. And throughout the night, I just had just images of Nick and what he went through and seeing it from my perspective on the sideline. I mean, other than the guys that are on the football field, you can't see no better than what I saw because I was literally parallel to it when it all went down. And it's just, One, we love the sport. We talk about the sport, but what he represents for the sport, he's a Hall of Fame caliber player and person. And to now have a situation where, one, what he means for the team, and then just overall for the sport itself and not having that presence out there, it's sad. It it truly is. And I've been chiming in on some debates about whether or not the hit was dirty. And my initial thought when I saw it was dirty hit. And since then, I've thought more about it. And pretty much, guys, my thought process is the following. If you go at a guy at a low angle with your head down and the trajectory of your body is from the side and not head up straight or forward, that's trying to avoid a hit. That's, in my mind, a dirty play because basically you're taking advantage of a guy who can't see you coming to react to it. Now, if it's head up and straight forward. He can jump up in the air or do something to try to avoid. But when you come to the side like that, you mean to do damage. And Micah, Minka Fitzpatrick, rather, he did a lot of damage ups
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the hard thing is, you know, going into the game, man, after they really get a good win against the Bengals, a win that defensively they dominated and offensively they did enough. This team really felt like it had this swagger that we haven't really seen out of a Browns team in a few years, at least. Uh, They're coming in, they're looking good in the new uniforms, the white helmets. It felt like everybody was feeling good. It really felt like, for the first time that I can remember in a long time, it felt like we felt like we were going into Pittsburgh to win a game. It wasn't, man, if they play well, they can win. It wasn't, they could win. It it felt like, man, the Browns are going to go into Pittsburgh and win tonight. And, you know, from a sideline perspective, you're down there with the guys. Uh, You're standing right there. Did you sense that kind of different attitude coming into the game, and how did it change when Nick Chubb went down?
6: Well, I think you made the same mistake I made. You assigned that to one phase of the football team who had a reason to feel that way, and that was the defense. Yeah, based upon what they did last Sunday, the offense didn't have no reason to feel like the <laughs> swagger was there and that they played at a high level. They didn't have a reason to feel that way. But what did we do? We assigned it to them because they're part of what the team, and the team took part in that victory. But at the end of the day, when you watch that game, the confidence simply wasn't there for the offense. And then you have Nick Chubb go down, and Deshaun Watson is still trying to get his sea legs. I know people don't want to hear that, but you really need to understand that he hasn't got those yet, and we hope that he gets them quick, fast, in a hurry. But the fact of the matter is, he's not there. The offense is completely there. The timing with the receivers and the various ones that he's throwing to, it's not there yet. That takes time. And then there's some issues with the offensive line. You have a new unit base out there with Jones, who did a phenomenal job, in my opinion, considering he being a rookie and who he's up against. Now, Jarrett Wills, he has some work to do. He's going to have to play a better brand of football. But the offense, no, make no mistake about it. The defense got all the swag that you possibly want and need, and they got reasons to back it up. The offense is certainly, I don't even know if they got swa. I don't even know if they got swa, which is a part of the word swag. They got. you have the s yes. you have the s yes. yeah so oh. they might have the
1: s oh we'll find out i mean you, you talk about uh, deshaun not having his sea legs you're a guy, you're you're a guy that's been around the game of football for a long time you've played it at the highest level you're a three-time super bowl champion at what point do you get at, po- at what point do you start to doubt because uh, here's the thing I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge Deshaun Watson based on what we saw from Deshaun Watson last year. Mm-hmm. You can't judge him based on that. You can't even judge the team based on that. They had to install a new offense with right. six games left in the season. You're not that right. sucks. What concerns me most about Deshaun Watson is how much Deshaun Watson of this year after the full offseason and with an offense that's been designed for him looks like Deshaun Watson from last year.
6: Well, I would tell you this. Take solace in the fact that Pat Mahomes, Burrow, and to a degree, Allen, though he got back on track, Derek Carr, those guys aren't playing phenomenal football right now, and they played it at high levels. And I just named two of the guys that are the best quarterbacks in the National Football League, in Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes. And they're not lighting the world on fire. And generally I say this, it takes six to seven football games and sometimes five for you to really figure out who you are as a football team. And I got a feeling that that's going to be the same trajectory for Deshaun and the offense, the defense, they know who they are. They like who they are. And they're not ashamed to tell you who they are. (laughs) The offense cannot say the same thing. They're still trying to figure that out. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because to get that type of choreography and syncopation and just be on the same page with the offense takes much longer than it does with the defense, and that's unfortunately part of the game. And I know it sounds like I'm making excuses, and I am, but I'm just trying to tell you what I've seen from experience and what normally goes down. But do we? The worst thing that you can have happen is that Deshaun starts pressing, and that they start pressing because you think that oh, that was bad last night when you're in a situation where you start pressing, things like a five-yard art lead to more pick sixes. And the most rudimentary things like handing off the ball becomes virtually impossible because you're pressing and you're trying to be perfect. So I hope that they have the wherewithal and the patience to say, you know what? And my son said this to me earlier, and I didn't want to feel it. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to consider it. But what he said is somewhat true. And it's totally apologetic to what the Browns offense went through last night. Considering what took place, you never got the sense and feel that they quit. And in the past, we couldn't say that, right? True, yeah,
1: true. No, of course, you couldn't say that they quit all the time in the past. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a great point. That's a good point by your son. That that you made me feel a little bit better right there, and that's the first thing of of all day that has made me feel a little bit better. We're all in therapy right now. So, uh,
4: let's let's go ahead. Look, let's flip it over to the third phase of the game and special teams last night. Yeah, Dustin Hopkins missing a field goal fine i don't think there's any cause for concern there he's been pretty phenomenal first week one and most of last night what's going on with dpj and why can't the browns field a punt to save their lives we had this problem last year basically the entire season every time the ball was kicked to us there was a a sense of uneasiness anytime we're trying to return a punt uh same last night we had the one that went over his head that landed on the five yard line i want to say it was um lost about 30 yards on that play so Is there a glaring issue with our return team right now? Uh, Anything that needs to be addressed?
6: Well, I mean, Hopkins, we appreciate the fact that he made the extra points and he missed one kick, but we don't appreciate that, too, because at the same time, if he makes that field goal, you have a different mindset from an offense standpoint. You don't need a touchdown to win. You need a field goal. So I'm not going to completely exonerate him from the process. And if you think about what he did to start the game off, I don't know what. I can't pronounce the young man's name for the... Oh, God. Two. I forgot about that play. I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> I mean, he thought he was on punt team, and it was a kickoff. I'm like, dude, let the ball go out of bounds. What are you thinking?
1: <laughs> I mean, he just kicked that ball out of bounds. That ball is just going straight yeah. out of bounds. I have no idea right. what he was doing right there.
6: So right there, you start the game off with a potentially negative play, negative play and those things, you have to play what we call clean football. And all three phases have to play it. And what you saw with that initial kick, we were bailed out. And then with the fielding of punts, Donovan Peoples-Jones is totally capable and able of being a return man for us on on this team. I think what happened last night is just for some reason a lull in concentration. And if you think about it, that missed fielding of the punt led the points. And that's where we talk about complimentary football. That's where we talk about how it's all connected. So if he fills that ball properly, you're now looking at a 30-yard line, right? And then who's to say you don't get a positive play or two, and now you're at the 50, your whole mindset as an offense and as a defense is going to change. But now that you're backed up in the 10-yard line, it changes the whole prospect simply because you failed to do what? Something which is basic to the game, which is field it. Now, did he get lost in lights? because it seemed like that occurred several times for him? That could be the case because spotting that ball in a pitch-black sky, (laughs) and then it's no easy task, but he's done it before. So it's not like we can just exonerate him and say, oh, we got the wrong guy back there. Hell, he's returned a kick in the NFL for a touchdown. And he's caught in similar conditions. So I won't say – I won't excuse that. We just got to do a better job of paying closer attention to detail. And what you saw on, unfortunately, Monday night was that one phase the defense showed up and two didn't, and you still only lost by what? Four points.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah.
6: Well, so that's a sign of encouragement, but it's also a sign of disappointment because we got to win games we're supposed to win.
1: Yep. You were a, uh so I want to switch over. I want to, I want to uh, talk a little bit about positives because there were positives and those positives happened outside of one play on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I, I think the stat. I think the stat that the Pittsburgh Steelers had negative seven total yards in the fourth quarter and still came back to win (laughs) is one of the most atrocious things I've ever heard. But the defense, man, so far in two weeks, this defense is on point and it's the addition of Jim Schwartz. It's the pass rush that we knew was going to be good because it's proven good pass rushers out there. Finally, uh, all across the board. Uh, You were a safety. uh, You were a special teams expert in the NFL. Uh, but uh, talk about this defensive backfield, because outside of one play so far this season where they got mixed up on a cover three and they got burnt last night for 70 yards, it, there's been nothing available. You have shut down some of the best receivers, some of the best, pa- the one of the best passing attacks in the game week one. Uh, and you came out and looked phenomenal again last night. Um, uh, just talk about the confidence these guys are playing with and and how good that unit can be throughout the entire year.
6: Well, the unit's already showing signs of greatness based upon what they did week one and making Joe Burrow look totally suspect. And then you just saw what they did to Kenny Pickett. And I'm still trying to figure out if it was cover three or cover two or what happened. But regardless of the fact, a linebacker of some sort needs to be in a drop zone area, and they weren't there. And to Pickett's credit, he stayed in the pocket long enough, delivered a strike. And the next thing you know, Pickett's running down the football field free. And they scored. And then there was another play, too, if I want to be nitpicky about the defense in which they purposely motion Warren out to see if we're in man coverage. And then they do a nice, beautifully isolation design path to the running back Warren by sending a bunch of other receivers Mm -hmm. in the area of Taki Taki. He gets caught up in the wash and that should be a legal pick. But the way they did it, they're not going to call it. So that's that nice orchestration that we talk about in the beauty of the sport. And then when you see stuff like that, you're like, okay. That was pretty. I see why you did what you did. I hate the fact it worked on us for like 30-plus yards, but I get how it worked. But we have to be smarter than that as a defense. But as far as the defense is concerned, these guys are the National Football League that they're playing against. So they're going to have a positive player, two or three or four throughout the course of the game. So you got to respect that and understand that. But I love what I'm seeing with this defense. But here's what you're going to have to guard against for our defense. Not getting frustrated with the growing pains of the offense and yeah. saying, you know what? Screw this, who cares? Why bother exert myself, put out this level of play, if the only thing I'm gonna get return is an upset stomach by watching the offense not play that well. So they gotta guard against that. They haven't pointed fingers, and I hope they don't do that. But yes, this secondary in particular, you got guys, you got whenever you have three cover, it's hard to find one good cover corner. When you got three to four, then you're really <laughs> fortunate. And then you have a safety that can bring it as well, and then you got leadership back there from a communication standpoint. I mean, we're sitting on a championship-caliber defense. Yes. Within two weeks, you can tell that, and you feel that, and you respect that. And I, don't, I can say that and not have you look at me sideways like, this dude on lost his damn mind. Too many hits <laughs> in your head. <laughs> and that's just what we see, and we've seen that from day one. The question is, how do we get the offense to that level? Yeah. And how do we get special teams consistently to that level? And if we get that, and that's what they're going to have to work towards, we have something special here. But last night, man, I mean, damn, I was feeling good. Now y'all got me sad a damn again. But uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 and, and you brought something up, and I don't know. Did you hear the comments? I know you've been talking about it all day, but did you hear the interview that Zadarius Smith did in the post game in the locker room, uh, where he got asked? Apparently, Deshaun Watson went up to all the defenders after the game and apologized for playing like trash, and and basically said, "This is my fault, you guys." won this game for us essentially, and I just gave it away. I did not make plays to win this game. And he went up to apologize to all the defenders. And Darius Smith was asked about it. And I loved his answer. And, and I think, you know, this goes a long way to talk about some of the chemistry that this team has been lacking. And it's been a story for years. You know, it's only a couple of years that we had Odell Beckham's dad making videos about Baker Mayfield. Right. That was only a couple of right. years ago. Uh Zadarius said, I told he said, don't apologize to me. He said, you're our leader. We believe in you. We will go as you go. Uh, but you, you we, we're not putting this loss on you. It's a team loss. And we know you're going to come out and and do special things. I mean, like to me, I know maybe a little bit of that is it, it, talk is just talk until it gets put out onto the field. Right. But to have a guy in the locker room that vocalizes that like that, that's the kind of leadership I think this yeah. team is looking for to hear it from Zedari Smith was, was awesome.
6: It certainly was. And just to take you even further backstage with that situation, so I'm in the the locker room doing post-game interviews, and I'm heading out about the same time as Darius is heading out because I've interviewed six or seven guys, so that's enough, I feel, for the post-game show. (laughs) And, (laughs) And so I'm walking maybe seven to eight feet behind him, and I see him stop at Watson's locker and say in effect to him once again what you just read what you just said and that encouraging him like hey man this ain't no we got a long season you're our guy and just once again reiterating he could have totally took a different approach and be like man get the hell out of here you make all this money and you're not coming through because sometimes in real talk sometimes dudes are jealous of what the next man's making yeah he didn't him. do that at all he was totally supportive and that's what you need and deshaun's gonna find out real soon who his real friends are and who's for fake. Now, unfortunately for him, because he got so much freaking money, it's going to be hard to tell that part of it, but at least from a football (laughs) teammate standpoint, he'll be able to tell. All
1: right, last thing, and then we'll let you stop talking about the Browns for the day. Uh, uh, Heading into this game, coming back home, Tennessee Titans, Cleveland Browns stadium, Sunday, one o'clock. It's a team with a pretty decent defense, a team with a pretty good pass rush. Again, the offensive line is going to get tested. Uh, Obviously they're going to have to change up the way they play the game of offense here without Nick Chubb, they're going to have to change their approach a little bit. I know Jerome Ford went for over a hundred yards. Most of it coming on one huge run, which was awesome. That little bounce back. Uh, But uh, just, you know, talk about how a team bounces back from one, uh, just a devastating loss where you feel like you gave your game away Two, when you lost your player like that. Like how big is it for this team? If they're going to have success this year to come out this week and show you know, that they've kind of gelled over all the adversity of the last week and they come out after a short week uh, and play well. How big would that be for them moving forward?
6: It'll be huge, but I'm not going to lie. The offense needs to start playing cleaner football and moving towards that. And because that's going to – because the confidence was not there with the offense. Let's just be real about it. You can see it in how they play. The defense, as we said before, has a swag about it, a confidence that you just feel. Now, you want the offense to start taking on that persona, but – That's going to be up to Deshaun to help develop that. Now, Nick doesn't develop that because Nick simply doesn't speak. So you're not going to get it from him, but it's going to be up to Deshaun to figure out some way to get these guys to buy into some concept of here's what we are and here's what we represent and that we believe in it. So it's it's never been more true words said for me than the following regards to a football team. This offense is, and this is nothing novel, it's going to be totally based upon Deshaun Watson and his level of confidence and his belief in himself and his ability with the parts around him to get the job done. That's where we're at now. There's no Nick Chubb to rely upon. He was the security blanket in a half. We don't have that anymore. He's gone and God willing, he'll be able to come back and play football again, but we don't even know if that's a possibility. So right now it's totally going to be about Deshaun Watson getting his confidence back and return to the form of once he once was, when he was regarded as one of the top quarterbacks in the national football league. If that doesn't take place, then this offense is going to have a hard time complimenting the defense.
1: Well, hopefully they can get that squared away. And they got a chance. You know, maybe a short week isn't the worst thing after a and game like it's this. the best
6: thing, man. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You got so. no choice but to focus. Because if you go into, today was your day to get out your system. Tomorrow, get into work. It's going to hit you real quick. It was a physical game. And on top of that, in a lot of ways, it's the best and the worst thing that could happen for us playing the Titans. I know my former teammate is going to have his players disciplined. I know he's going to tell them these guys will bend over if you stay physical with them and they don't want to play that game. I know exactly what he's telling them. Now, who says that's true or not, but I'm telling you that's what he's probably going to tell them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see if the uh, the Browns can bounce back on a short week. One-on-one one Browns, one-on-one one Titans. Gerard Cherry, you can hear him on the radio broadcast. Uh, down on the sideline, giving all the uh, the best perspective from the Browns sideline on the sideline reports. And then you can also check out Gerard every day on ESPN Cleveland uh, on the next level with Emmett Golden. Gerard, thanks for taking a little time to come talk Browns with us. Hopefully we can do it again down the line and hopefully it's under better circumstances where the conversation can be more fun.
6: Yeah, I'm not talking to you guys again until we win, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good deal. I'll take that deal.
1: Gerard, thanks for coming on, man.
6: All right, man. Take
1: care. And Gerard Cherry, what a good time with Gerard Uh, talking about the Browns again, wishing it was under better circumstances, but we're in, I'm in for Gerard's ultimatum there. He doesn't have to talk to us again until the Browns start winning. Uh, Boys, we said, uh, we said this was wall to wall. Uh, This is a wall to wall episode, three guests in one episode. And our next guest is sitting in the background and we're not going to make him wait. So, we're doing like a, a Browns blue jacket sandwich here. Yeah, uh, We're going to talk to Felix Wright in about a half hour, former Cleveland Brown from the eighties, part of so many teams that dominated the Pittsburgh Steelers back then. He's got some great stories that he shares with us. So we're going to get to Felix Wright at about 10 o'clock, but we're going to th- switch it up a little bit here. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about something that a lot of people have been talking about. Uh, and that's the Columbus blue jackets, uh, uh, some things that, People haven't enjoyed talking about, but we're going to really kind of talk about how this team moves forward after, man, one of the wildest off seasons I've ever seen for any sports organization or team, I think ever. So uh, let's bring him in right now. He is our friend. He is the vice president of communications for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And uh, man, I hope he's got a good beer because he deserves one. It's Todd Sharrock Todd, welcome back to the Garage Beers podcast. How's it
3: going, boys? Man, it's, it's yeah. going, it's going great. How are you? Ooh, great, little Oktoberfest. Great, great Lakes Oktoberfest. Man, good choice.
2: How do you feel being the, being the meat in the sandwich that we got going on tonight with the guest here, Todd? The...
3: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty distinct company with uh, a couple of those uh, former Browns. You know, I was a, I was an average high school athlete, so I fit right in, right in the middle of, of, uh of that so
1: yeah well gerard gerard cherry there's only won three super bowls so you guys are yeah. like
3: that's it you know you know between the two of us we've won three yeah
1: which yeah. is an amazing exactly. accomplishment for both of you yeah. congratulations
3: right. exactly exactly so hey uh tough night for the browns obviously that's not yeah
1: cool. well, that's todd that's a tough go Todd, we need a break from that right now, man. We need a break from that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we're here to. I kind of need a break. I kind of need a break from uh, what we're going to talk about, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah,
1: right. <laughs> uh Listen, that is fair. Uh, Kevo in the comments says, "Todd, don't worry, you're uh, you're prime roast beef. You're not a pimento love, so <laughs> oh, it's a good it. sandwich we're making that's,
3: here. That's good. I, I appreciate that, Kev. Thank
1: you. <laughs> All right, Todd. So listen. Uh, The Columbus Blue Jackets have been at the center of the hockey world uh, for a couple weeks now. Uh, You know, in in asking you to come on here uh, and and just so our listeners know this, too, we're not here to do an investigative report. This isn't like investigative journalism. Uh, And in asking you to come on, we're not going to ask you to share a whole bunch of new information that we didn't hear. Uh, That's not what we're here for. Uh, But I I do think it's fair to just say, you know, kind of ask about kind of the tone in the organization right now, the tone in the front office. Uh, obviously, the Mike ba- Babcock, Babcock situation brought him in. There were question marks around that at first. It turns out that it doesn't work out. The team and Babcock split ways, um, and, and now the Blue Jackets moving in a totally different uh, direction. Uh, you know, how hard is it to kind of keep everything moving forward when you have something – not a lot of teams – do. there's not a playbook for this, Todd, as mm-hmm. you know. And not a lot of teams have had to go through this. How hard is it to kind of keep an organization on the right path as you go through something like this?
3: Well, it's obviously been a, a very difficult week um, for everyone in our organization. You know, there's there's nobody that hasn't been, you know, impacted by this. Um, but no no people or no group more than our players. You know, the last week here is kind of that's the last week of of summer vacation. You know. I mean, although the guys have been in town, you know, pretty much I think everybody was in around Labor Day and they've been skating and working out, but they've also been playing golf and going out to dinner and, you know, doing a lot of of, of bonding, you know, as a group. But this week, you know, this past week, you've got, you know, we had a, traverse, a Prospects Camp in Traverse City with all of our young guys up there, which went really well. And then for the veterans, it's kind of like the calm before the storm. You know so typically you're you know just enjoying that last little bit before you're really into the grind but you're also looking forward to that and then everything that came up um really turned their attention away from the things to to basically anything that they weren't supposed to be thinking about you know the things that they're supposed to be you know were they were dealing with a lot of other things so there's no question there's no way to sugarcoat it it was a bad week um you know jd yarmo uh some of the guys we we had our media day we do an annual media day luncheon every year to kick off uh, right before training camp we had it scheduled and it uh it was a bit different than most of our other media day luncheons we've had like, in the past why did we the schedule least, this a week later to see the to say the least but um you know i i think you know we addressed it head-on there's no there was no avoiding it. There was no, like, you can't cancel that. You can't just put your head in the sand, pretend it doesn't exist. You, you face it, you know, you, you take a beating, which we got. And, you know, as, as JD and Yarmo both said yesterday, you know, they, they take responsibility for, for the decisions that were made. And, um, they, they spoke to it, uh, sincere, um, it was tough. It was tough for both of them, and a lot of people were gonna. Would probably think, well, yeah, of course it was, because you know, obviously they're they're held accountable for things like that. But just it it really was affecting them. But I'll say this: as an organization, we are moving on. You know, the the players have had it with kind of thinking about it, talking about it. You know, that's all they've done for a week is talk about it you know, right. in amongst themselves with, you know, our organization, with the players association, you know, you name it, they want to focus on hockey and we've got now a new coach and we hit the ice in two days. Like, so it's, it, they need to move on and we need to move on. So, you know, uh we've gotten a lot of obviously media requests and a lot of interest in, people wanting to talk to us and wanting to to rehash yeah. everything else the bottom line is you know we had a situation it was not pleasant it was addressed and now we owe it to, as our to ourselves as an organization but mostly to our players to move on so um and i've got to tell you we're we're really fortunate that we have Pascal Vincent mm-hmm. um you know, he's been with us for two years as an associate coach. And you know, he was a very strong candidate to get the job this past summer and it was somebody that our organization definitely saw. We wanted him to be a part of our organization, you know, now and you know, in the future. So he's a guy that was was very highly sought of. And he is a the perfect guy to kind of help us navigate. And I think it'll be a pretty smooth transition because the coaches have been working together a lot in the last couple of months.
2: Yeah. Now I'm, I'm claiming ignorance <laughs> here, but, uh, Pascal, uh, did he, did he ever leave town? Was he still in town? Like how quick did that process? I mean, obviously I know the same day, you, you know, you announced him becoming new head coach the same day, but what was that process? Yeah, like? no,
3: he's, they've, the coaches have all been here.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, the coaches
3: have been here like Pazzy, I think went back to, uh, he might have gone back to Canada for a bit this summer. Hmm. Um, I haven't even asked him. Most Canadians that I know that work in hockey have a cottage somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. Always don't on know a lake. If, <laughs> I don't know if Bazi has a cottage or not. Yeah. I'm really not of course sure. he does. Yeah. Um, but oh, i know. He's about where, to.
2: He's about like like to like with his new paycheck. I feel like you can't truly like say you're in the NHL without buying a cottage on a lake somewhere.
3: Right. Well, they don't even have to be in the NHL. It's just a Canadian thing. That's okay, the, there you they, go. They know how to do it. They have got yeah, that birthright. down. Um, but yeah, like so the coaches, you know, and Pazy and other our assistants, Steve McCarthy, Jared Bull, have had been here, you know, pretty much all summer. Um you know, after we had development camp in early July, not not long after the draft. Um, and so I think like after that, there's kind of a lull after you have that and free agency starts July 1, you kind of in the hockey world, everybody, that's when the hockey folks kind of have their time away. But for the better part of, I don't know, we're a month and a half, two months, our coaches have been in, they were meeting every day, working every day. And, and Pazi said this, like he said it yesterday. He goes, I don't have a magic play. You know, there's no magic formula secret thing that I'm going to do that's going to be different. He goes, the expectations about how we should play as a team, you know, that the coaches had talked about for the past two months are the same. You know, that expectation of being organized and disciplined and and tough and hard to play against and all the things um, that our previous coach was, was preaching and all of that. Pazzy believes the exact same thing. He said that yesterday. So, and there'll be some tweaks. He'll have some certain tweaks to the system and and things like that, 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 um, that I'm sure he'll implement, but it's not like three days before camp. Oh my God, we got to rip up all the plans and start over. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the schedule set and things. He'll, he'll put his own little personal touches on it. Um, but it's it's probably a lot easier than if you're making a change in football, where all of a sudden you're going to a completely different coach with new systems and, and everything else. Right. It's it's not that. So. Um, and the rest of the coaches, our rest of our coaching staff and, and we may look to add, as said, they may look to add someone. Um, but the other guys have been here. They've, they've all, those three guys have all worked together. We have a new goalie coach this year, Nick Backstrom, who's been around all summer. Yeah. So there's a familiarity there and there's a familiarity with our guys and, and our guys love Patsy. They, they have a lot of respect for him. Um, Patrick Liney and Jack Roslick knew him when he was in Winnipeg. Patty Patty's known him since he was 18 when he yeah. came over as a rookie. Um, Cause Patsy spent 10 years there. He was an assistant, uh, for the Jets for five, and then he was the head coach of the AHL team for five. You know he's a really experienced guy, so um, all of that I think is going to really make it a pretty smooth transition when they hit the ice for the first time on Thursday. Or a lot easier, long. a lot easier than it could have been. Yeah,
4: and and if there's a silver lining in the situation is that we haven't started you know the preseason yet effectively, so the players do have that week to kind of digest everything as opposed to the middle when you know, we're really trying to ramp things up and get ready for the, the season to kick off here. Uh, and was it a month
3: about at this point? Yeah. Well, we have our first preseason game Sunday. Unbelievable. Yeah.
4: We play yeah. – it's like a split squad
3: deal. We got half of a, half a groups going to Pittsburgh in the afternoon and another half will be playing uh, at home yeah. in, in the evening. So um the guys were all on the ice today. This was kind of the last day of their own, you know – skates and and they were all you know having a blast and and i think they were they were all really excited just to get back on the ice and and think about hockey so aside
1: from learning that uh, canadians do lake houses like americans do crippling debt uh (laughs) 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 so here is it's it's a, it's a, it's a massive right turn. And, and, and so here's, here's the question that I have as far as the confidence level, as, as they bring in Pascal Vincent, uh, you, you leaves years ago, you bring in Lars, Lars is a first time head coach. Didn't work out with Lars, nothing bad to say about Lars. You, nobody expects anything bad to get said about Lars. It just didn't work out. And it seemed like a priority this off to take this team to the next level was to have a coach that had kind of been there to take them to the next level. They get Babcock. He's one of the winningest coaches in NHL history. It does not work uh, before it even starts. And now you've got Pascal Vincent who well-respected, well-liked, but has not been an NHL head coach before. So uh, uh, what's the confidence level in Pascal and what's the, what's the thought process and how he can be, Maybe a little bit different, how he can be a first-time head coach that takes a team to the next level uh, right off the bat. Because this is a team that's – I mean, there's players out there that are built to win at this point. Yeah. So how, how is he going to take them to that level?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, his – he's an experienced coach. Paz, 51 years old. Like, he spent, he spent 10 years, 11 years in the Quebec Major Junior League as a head coach and GM before he went to Winnipeg. You know, so he's, um, you know, Lars had been, I think, a head coach in the American League for two or three years, and then was an assistant for us for seven or eight. Um, Pat, he's an experienced guy. So uh, he's a, and he's, a, he's a little bit older um, guy than what, what Lars was. Um, so does he have 700 wins yet? No. Um, but, again, there's a, there's just, he's, there's something about him. He's, he is, he's very organized. He's very thoughtful. He's very analytical. Um, he communicates extremely well. Um, and in just talking to the guys, uh, like I, I've known that they, how they feel about him just being around the team for the last two years, since he's been here as a, as a, associate coach. um, There's, there's a respect there. Um, And he's coached a lot of hockey games. Um, It's, it's somewhat, it's, it's, there's a, there was a similar situation in terms of timing a few years ago in Colorado where Patrick Waugh was the avalanche head coach. And right before training camp or right at the start of training camp, he leaves. Yeah. Something happens. You know, Joe Sackick, who's the president and GM at the time, they make the change, and who do they bring in? Jared Bednar, who had been our uh AHL coach in Cleveland when the Monsters won the Calder Cup.
2: I've got the ring wow. in my closet.
3: Yes! And uh yeah, and <laughs> so there and there were a lot of, you know, he'd never been a head coach in the NHL. Um but it's an interesting thing because, you know, if you hire somebody who's really experienced and, you know, there's always there's always a lot of conversations anytime there's a, a coaching vacancy in in, in the NHL. And, and I think in a lot of different sports, too, it's, well, is it going to be the same group of veteran older coaches or is it time to hire, you know, new blood and get new guys in there and give them an opportunity? So it's kind of, you know, if you do one thing, then you've got there's a group saying, well, you should have done the other. And if you did the other, then this group think, well, you should have gone the other way. You know, we we went the other way earlier. Um, as you said, it obviously didn't work out and one of the great understatements of all time. Um, but I I really think a silver lining with this is Pascal Vincent. Um, he was, a, like I said, he was a strong candidate for, for our job, uh, the head coaching job in the summer. Um, and a guy that we always kind of viewed as this guy is, we want him part of our organization for a long time. It just happened to be that now he'll be the head coach a lot sooner, but there, there's, there's nothing but complete confidence. And I think a real excitement amongst our, our guys they're they're really happy for him that he got this opportunity because and he's been a candidate for other jobs too. He's interviewed for head coaching jobs at other places the last two or three years. So I I think the guys are going to play really hard for him. I think they're going to respond very well to him.
2: Hey Todd, now let's talk about the prospects tournament. I mean, up there, young guys played pretty well for the most part uh, throughout the whole weekend i just i mean obviously i know you were up there which is what was your overall impressions about how the young kids performed
3: actually i wasn't oh i was not up there because i, I had been kidding. i was just I, was, I had been at in the uh in las vegas with johnny gaudreau uh every year the league does a media tour event where they bring in top players from around the league and it's two days there's partly like on ice promo shoots there's off ice you know reads and social media things and fun stuff there's national media in and everything so there always seems to be an overlap so I was there with Johnny the day that the guys left for Traverse City but I did watch some of our games and and talk to some of our um, you know coach and coaches and management and stuff that were up there and you know the first two games were I mean were phenomenal uh uh, basically, I think the Athletic wrote a story today where they they broke down all the different. They had writers who were at each prospect tournament, yeah. and they broke down you know guys to that stood out. And I think uh, they I think they mentioned three maybe four guys in uh, Traverse City. And the first one was Fantilli. And the second one was Denton Matejchuk, yes. who was uh, one of our first round picks along with David Juracek last year. And, I mean, Fantilli had a hat trick in, like, five points, I think, in the second game. I get seven, po- seven or eight points in the two games. Matei the same thing. Um, and everything that I had heard and I, and I saw, you know, most of the first game was that um, that Fantilli's every bit as good as advertised. And um, so we're real excited. I think that we lost the, the third game to Detroit, but we still won the tournament on a tiebreaker. There we so, go. and in that third game, they sat Denton and Adam and a couple yeah. other guys. They gave them, Yeah, you know, they gave them the, the day off because, you know, those guys are are, are going to have big camps. I mean, Denton's kind of, he's at that age. He's too young to play in, in Cleveland this year. So he'd have to go back to junior if he doesn't make our team. And we have a lot of defensemen, you know, right now on the roster. Yeah. Um, but he's a really talented, Defenseman. He's got a lot of offensive instincts. You know, he's not real big. He's not tall. He's he's pretty thick kid. He's maybe I think six foot, but his his instincts and when to jump into play. Like he'll definitely be quarterback in a power play in the NHL sooner rather than later. Right. And and Adam Fantilli, you know, I've got to tell you, and I might have said this the last time I was on with you guys. Yeah, right after that. He's as impressive a, a young guy as 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 I've been around. Like he's, he really, the thing that, and I've heard other people talk about him, I've heard Rick Nash say this about him after development camp. Like sometimes you come in, you're a top draft pick. There can be some ego there and all of that. And, and Nash said this, the kid was the hardest working kid we had at, at prospects camp in our development camp in the summer, right after the draft. And he really kind of it, takes over a leadership He's got those leadership qualities that he just you just see it when he plays. And that that is something Trent Vogelhuber, who was who's our coach in Cleveland, who coached the kids this past weekend in Traverse City, like really said, like it's obvious. Like this guy's a leader and 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 players follow him. And he's gonna he's he won't be 19 till uh, opening night.
1: Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go.
3: Ah, yeah, that's, it's that's... and then we got there's another kid that we had who's we drafted a few years ago and has spent the past few seasons in the KHL. Dmitry Voronkov, yeah, who's a center winger, and he's freaking huge. Like I saw him for the first time in person. I think he's listed at like 6'4, four, like one eighty five, one ninety. He's no more one ninety than I am. Yeah, <laughs> the, the other way. Like he is. He's a mountain of a man. Now it's gonna probably it's gonna take him some time to get used to playing in smaller ice service and everything else, but but his size and yeah, let's go. Okay. It's he, he's, a, he's another one. One of the young guys I'm really looking forward to watching, you know, starting Thursday when we're on the ice. Yeah.
1: That's,
2: that's, that's actually a perfect transition Uh into my, into my last question for you. Nailed Don. it. Yeah. He <laughs> gets know, paid tra- for this training camp in a couple of days. I mean, it's like we we're in sync here Uh training camp in a couple of days. I mean, you just mentioned a couple of players, for, you know, is there anything at, like, is there a, a position battle, anything else that you're really looking forward to seeing on the ice in training camp here, whether it be the uh, goaltenders or is how, you know, David Urochek's progression, like, is there anything that you personally are excited to or, or intrigued to watch?
3: For me, the, the most thing I'm, I'm most excited about and the thing that I hope to get out of every day of camp is that we're healthy. Yeah. Um, everybody seems to be coming in. We're pretty healthy. You know, guys, might be a few guys with some couple of little nagging things, but but right now, for the most part, we're 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 in pretty good shape there. So that's the biggest thing because we had so many guys with so much time last year. The the thing for me, honestly, it is is probably there's a couple of things. How do how does our top six shake out? Um, with Patty, Johnny, Boone, Adam, Kent Johnson, uh, Kirill Marchenko, Jack Rostel. I mean, there's there's a lot of pieces there and who gels who who like, like Patty and Johnny and Boone were pretty good at times last year, but like we played our first game, Patty gets hurt in the second period and he misses some time. They come back and it's yeah. just like, they never really had a chance to, to kind of get that going. So that's it. And then, and, and then our defensemen, because we've got a slew of them and you know, and Yuri's one of them. Where does he fit in? Because that kid's, he's, he's something else. <laughs> A really good kid, too. So that, those are probably the two. Like, where does the top six kind of, you know, who, who kind of gels and who, who connects there and, and form some, some partnerships there? And then just, you know, we know, we know Rensky, Severson, Proveroff. Um, there's your top three guys right off the bat and then there's a lot of other guys boquist bean who was hurt all last year you know Andrew peak who's he blocked more shots i think he set the re- our club record last year for block shots he is a selfless kid that just he's gotten better every year um and you know year a check um Nick blankenberg like and i'm probably missing somebody but we just got a bunch of guys which I think is great because we probably are going into camp with as much competition, not only for slots, but just for roster space than we've had in some time. And and that's really good because obviously, and with Pazzi, it's, you know, he's going to play the guys that earn it. They're going to earn the ice time. They're going to earn their slots. And when you have that competition, everybody just has to elevate their game.
1: Todd, man, I have to tell you how much I appreciate you agreeing to come on with us tonight. Uh, I know probably the last thing you want to do is talk about the stuff that has gone on literally ever again. My last question for you, we consider you to be a friend on the show. We've had many beers with you. We will hopefully continue to have many beers for you. You are a great representation of the Columbus Blue Jackets. You are a passionate man about the Columbus Blue Jackets. My question for you is more about you than anything else. This last couple of weeks, man. Again, there's no playbook for you. Things happen on social media. Big time social media people start saying things. It hits you. Uh, man, I just did you get any sleep these last couple of weeks? I mean, like what? <laughs>
3: Yeah, there's Are an old okay? saying, that, I slept like a baby. I'd sleep for two hours, I'd wake up crying, and then I'd sleep for a more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I mean, I, well, I appreciate I appreciate the uh, the kind words and you know I definitely enjoy you guys and you know we'll we'll come on and, and chat with you anytime about blue jackets or anything else. Um yeah, I mean it's been a challenge, but you know what? It's it's not really it's not about me. Not you yet. know, I mean I have a job to do. I'm gonna do what I can to help the organization help our players in any way that I can. Um and you know what? Some sometimes things happen and you just you got to take the hit but you got to keep moving forward.
2: You don't and, got
3: a choice. <laughs> right. And and that's that's exactly what, you know, we're doing. We're like I said, there was a lot of excitement about this team 10 days ago. Yes. In our room amongst our fans, you know, with, with a lot of people that hasn't changed. You know, the guys, our health, the young guys we've got, you know, the way we feel about our team hasn't changed. And that's why, because, Hey, like, it's okay. Yeah. We, we got knocked on our butt and that's, you know what, and the way things worked out deservedly. So, but you know what? We're not going to stay there. Like Patsy said this yesterday, you know, you face adversity. What do you do? You get up and you keep going. And I've been a part of this organization for a long time. Have we won as much as we would like in our 23 years? No, no, we haven't. There's no question about that, but nobody cares more than the people that are in our building And we're going to keep working. You know, the hockey ops group is going to continue to work as hard as they can to change that. All the things we do on the business side and, and providing people with, with, you know, a great product, enjoyable time when they come and do everything that we can. We're going to keep doing that um, because that's what we believe in. And, you know, some of the outside noise and the criticism is fair and you take it. Some of it's not fair. And, you know, you ignore it because people, people that know, know, and people that don't, don't. So, but I appreciate the uh, the thoughts. I got a number of text messages in the last, you know,
1: the last. And you were up days. at all hours to receive them. So it's, you fine. know, but, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but
3: uh, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate that, but we're, we're doing fine. We're going to be fine. And, and we're looking forward to a really good year.
1: And one thing that should not be overlooked, and I say this to everybody I talk to about the Columbus Blue Jackets, and and listen, the way that we've been able to connect here on this show with your organization and the people within it, and you, uh, hockey team aside, winning aside, this situation aside, this is still one of the most first-class sports organizations I've ever seen. Uh, The people that you work with in that building, yourself included, man. And appreciate
3: that.
1: Thank you. And I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not trying to suck up to you. Uh, We'll drink beers, and I don't know. I'll I'll find something to criticize you guys about at some point. But uh, (laughs) you guys, you guys are absolutely awesome. Uh, And and people should know that. And it's still those same people running this organization, and it's the reason why you guys have a great fan base, and it's because you guys care to keep the fan base engaged. And so uh, a tough couple weeks doesn't change any of that. So. Listen, man, we really appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you hashing this out with us a little bit, uh, letting us hear it kind of straight from the horse's mouth uh, from the organization there. And uh, yeah, we just can't tell you how much we appreciate you and and we appreciate your friendship here.
3: You got it. Well, thank you, boys. Like I said, I always enjoy it. It's always a pleasure. You know, hopefully next podcast between, you know, Blue Jackets, Browns, Buckeyes, you know, we got, we got a lot of positives to talk about. Cause you know, on the Browns, I mean, that's a tough blow job, and and last night was a bit of a. That defense is so good, and I, I still think that that, and I still that, that division is there for the taking. It is, yeah, it's there for it the totally taking. And, it really is. And yeah. two weeks, and it's two weeks into the season now. I'm a Cowboys fan, so I'm really enjoying where things are right now. But I also know, as a Cowboys fan, that can change too. Yeah. So, you know, for all the all the Browns, all is well. Remain calm. Yeah. You know, the sun will come time. up. The sun came up. And you know, like I said, as long as you got that defense, you're gonna have a chance. And yeah. You know, I think I think they're I think they're gonna be all right, especially, you know, the way some of the other teams in the division are playing right now. So
1: keep in the faith. All right, all right, Todd. Keep we'll the safe, man. We're going to go back to talk about the Browns more. Fine. Todd. Fine. <laughs> Todd, Todd. Hey, listen, Todd Chirac, uh, vice president of communications, Columbus blue jackets. Uh, we're almost there guys. Blue Jackets season is upon us. Uh, and, uh, if you're a blue jackets fan, there's still plenty. Uh, it's the same stuff to be excited about. Same stuff to be excited about. I'm pumped. I can't wait to get down to Columbus for a game. Uh, and, uh, Yeah. Thank you, Todd, so much for coming on. And we'll we'll catch up with you down the line as the Blue Jackets are making the push for the top seed in the uh, Eastern Conference.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sounds good. All right, boys. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks You You bet.
1: Touch rock, man. What a great guy. Uh, guy. Just a good friend, a good friend of ours, a good friend of the podcast. And uh, every time somebody comes on and asks us, man, how do you guys get like how did you guys get Johnny Gaudreau? And how'd you guys get Rick Nash? And how'd you guys get, uh, it's Todd Rock because he's awesome and he understands what makes fans happy and, and how to connect. And it's stuff like this. So shout out to Todd, the guy, uh, a a super difficult situation. Uh, someday I want to hear the whole story here because Todd seemed kind of pissed and, and you wouldn't, you know, he would never come on and act pissed or whatever, but man, it seemed like, it seemed like that was a very, seemed like that was a very much more of a, maybe a little bit more of a heated situation within that organization than, uh, than they would ever let on.
2: Yeah. Probably one of the more, con- I mean, obviously one of the more contra- controversial things that have happened in the, in that franchise, but you know, I mean, he's obviously he's not going to, I mean, he's a pro he's not going to come on and, 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 yeah go off and he's not going to, you know, but he's, he's, he handled it with, with class and dignity. Like, you know, he is, because he's, he's been around, he's been around a long time. So.
1: And we're going to uh, boys, we're going to do a couple things, but I want to come back to, I, I want to talk about this for a minute. We're going to get, we got Felix, Wright That we're getting, we've got, we've got an interview with Felix, Wright, Former Brown that we're going to get to in just a minute. I don't want to just let this pass though. Um We, we, we brought Todd on because we wanted to hear from the organization. And so graciously, he did that for us. But like, this is, this has been a disastrous couple of weeks. Does hearing from Todd, and again, you know, if you're a Browns fan and you're just like, wow, this, this Blue Jackets guy and what's going on, if you're not paying attention or, or you don't follow, you should because it's great and the Blue Jackets are great. But like, you made a very controversial hire in Mike Babcock, a guy that was run out of the league for controversial reasons, uh, before he comes back, everything's great. He's better. He's a reformed person. He answers all the questions. Right. And it turns out rumors start flowing online. The spit and chicklets guys start throwing rumors. And I got to tell you, man, I got, we all, I think we all have to eat a little bit. Of
4: pro. Yeah.
1: I think crow. we all have to eat a little bit of crow because last week on this podcast we were chastising the Spit and Chicklets guys. Yeah, and I do think part of I, that is I, I don't actually I
4: don't think the chastise was unwarranted because agreed. Told, I think it was it was not sourced, correct, and that is shit journalism. But it ended up being true, which is fine too. I'll eat crow on that, but like
1: it was all vendetta based, no doubt about that. Yeah. The fact of the matter though is Mike Babcock was being a bitch. He was. Yeah. And he got called out on it and it started there. And I don't think the intentions there were right, but it turned out to be true. And, and all right, Siri, shut the hell up. Uh, it turns out that the, the leopard didn't change his spots. The G the zebra didn't change his stripes. It's still the same guy acting the same stupid freaking way, taking dudes phones away from him for, like in, into other rooms to look through their pictures and stuff. Th- that might not sound like a big deal. It's weird as hell though. Oh, yeah. When it first got reported, it was, Hey, show me pictures of your family. That's not weird. Let's get to know each other. What's show me your kids. Show me your wives. Like, that's cool. Let's, let's talk about your family, but to take people's phones and like, I want to see what kind of person you are. Uh, you get disastrous. <laughs> fucking, fu- fucking disastrous guys. Yeah.
2: For the record, I did not chastise the Chicklets podcast last week. I did, I did not. I did. You know, cuz I I, I was I was the guy who said the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? You because did. you said that. Be, be, because, you know, obviously I Paul Bizanet wouldn't have tweeted out the text messages he got from it. I mean, yeah, vendetta based or not. I mean, he did source them, but obviously no one's going to you know, he's not going to reveal his sources. But he did. He did send out information to show that yes, he was getting fed this information. So yeah, I. I but yeah, it, it it turns out I I didn't want to believe it, and I think I didn't want to believe it because, uh, because honestly because of of Mike Babcock being the one one of the most winningest coaches in NHL history, right. and I was I think I was also in the mindset of you know what John Tortorella was able to evolve right there was so many questions about hiring right. him and he was oh, able hundred percent so I was like, you know what? This, this couldn't, this, this, this could be fine. I mean, you know, Mike Babcock, it could be innocent. Babcock could have changed. And it's also list, faith no.
1: in the organization, Chad. Right. And it's, it's faith in Yarmo. It's faith in, in, in JD. It's faith that these guys would make that right hire. And they sure. do need to be held accountable for that. And they have right. acknowledged that. Sure. They yeah. made a really, really, really bad fucking decision.
2: Yeah. No, it, it was, it was very bad. And I, I mean, and then like and then when the NHLPA started coming out with their findings, I was like, Holy shit, this is this is bad. He needs to go. Especially when, especially when he was inviting guys out over to his house for lunch. And it wasn't even like it wasn't even like, hey, welcome to my home. It was like, let me see your phone. What? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. That's that's yeah. that's that's but, like that's abuse of power
1: right there. That's what that here's, is. Here's where this team can go. It's gonna be one of two ways. It's the same thing I feel about the Browns. And again, we're getting to Felix right here in just a minute. But it's the same thing I feel about the Browns. You're gonna go one of two ways after last night for the Cleveland Browns. You're gonna go one of two ways now if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets. We're all gonna look at Pascal Vincent, Pazy. I lo- hockey nicknames are the best. Yeah, Pazzy. I know. I would have never gotten Pazy uh, out of that. We're going. <laughs> we're, we're either gonna look. Great. We're gonna go. We're gonna go five years from now and look at this hiring of Pazzy and go, holy shit! Mike Babcock being a a, a cock was the best thing that ever happened to this organization. And, and Pazzy wound up being the guy that could connect and bring everything together. And the team gelled because of that situation. And all of a sudden we're finding success or it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a laughingstock. It's the same thing with the Browns. Are you going to gel? Are you going to do things? Are you going to get motivated to do things in the name of Nick Chubb to honor your teammate? And are, are you going to come together? Or are you going to fall apart because, woe is us, Deshaun Watson looks awful and Nick Chubb got hurt. So yeah. I there's a real, a real 50-50 shot here for the Blue Jackets that this very, very difficult couple of weeks for the organization winds up being one of the great things that happens for the organization. Yeah. We'll see. So we're going to find tell. out time. We'll tell. All right. Before we get to our uh, Felix Wright interview. And again, thanks to Todd Chirac for coming on with us. Uh, we like to break it up. And so um, we got to talk about, we got to talk about our assholes of the week. We got to talk about people that have just been assholes this week. We're not going to let them off the hook just because we have a jam packed episode. We're not going to let these assholes off the hook. And so it is time for our assholes of the week. And so boys, let's throw it around. I'll go first. Cause I don't go first a lot. Okay. So I go out to the Winking Lizard with my buddy Dan Wise. You see him. You see him in the comments here. Dan Wise. He's usually here on the show. He's probably dead ass tired. so I haven't seen him here tonight, but he might be here. Okay. Go, go out. Go out to Winking Lizard. We get the kids to bed. He puts. He lives like uh, like a block away. He puts his kids to bed. I put mine to bed. We're out. We're going to the Winking Lizard to watch at least the first half of the Browns game. Right. My asshole of the week. Is when you go out to a sporting event, the guy at the bar who loud talks to everybody in earshot during sporting events, even though he clearly has no fucking idea what he's talking about. (sighs) We could not have left Winking Lizard faster because we were surrounded. We were surrounded by two of those dudes. (laughs) Guys that just had... They didn't. They don't fucking understand the game of football. They don't understand offensive concepts or defensive concepts. Everything, anything bad that happened was like automatically somebody else. Like Deshaun Watson threw an incomplete pass on a play where he got bull rushed. Like I, he might have had the ball for like eight tenths of a second before he had a dude in his in his face. And I know Deshaun hasn't been good, but this was a play where there was no shot of anything happening. And the guy behind me, $230 million throw right there. $230 million right there. That's all. Look at that guy over there was open. That guy over there was open. Yes, Serge just said it in the comments. We're talking about the run chub 20 times a game guy. But they're loud and they're obnoxious at the bar. The one guy sitting next to me, we couldn't tell whether he was a Steelers fan or a Browns fan. He was obnoxious. So my asshole yeah. of the week is that guy just awful. Just awful Oof. people at the bar. Oof. Asshole of the week. All right. Who's going next? I'll go. Okay. Go ahead, Joe.
4: I thought this would be the unanimous. Yeah, la, la, la. I thought this would be the unanimous one. Eunasmus. Enazmus. Unanimous Unasmus. one today, but Minka Fitz, Fitzpatrick. Sure. Serge
1: said it in the comments.
0: Yeah.
4: It's gotta it's gotta be him. I mean, look. It's no reason to tackle like that on that play unless you're looking to hurt somebody. You don't dive head first into a knee. You don't tackle like that at the knees in the NFL period. I hope he receives a horrible fine. I hope his head really hurts after the game. Uh, I hope the Steelers have an awful season because of that. Uh, F you, dude. That, like, damn, that sucks. And I think the Brown uh, – is it – no, it's not the final game of the season. I think we play the Steelers again in December.
1: No, it's like week 10, week, 10, week 10 or 10? 11. November? It's like right in the middle of the season.
4: It's going to be a pretty heated game. I think this can be a a, a pretty heated, pretty heated game between the
1: two. And I think, uh, um, yeah, man, that's just, that sucks. And I'll tell you where it's going to be heated. Cleveland Brown stadium is going to be electric for that game. Oh yeah. That place is going to be on fire. Um, Let's talk about this for a minute. Um, Dirty implies a level of, maliciousness. I don't know if that existed. What I will tell you is that was, that was one of the most reckless plays I have ever seen.
4: Reckless is probably the better word to put it. Yes, Because the tackle didn't need to happen
1: low like that. And, and you know what? I think I saw somebody say it, uh, who was going back and forth with Ryan Clark, Nate Burleson, right? Yeah. On Twitter. Yep. I, I think, um, Nate Burleson had a great idea. And as a former football official, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't think this way. It is a penalty in the NFL. If you're an offensive lineman and let's say the center engages with the nose tackle and, and he's got him up on the shoulder pads and he's blocking him. If you're the guard and you come in and take out that nose tackles legs, it's a chop block. It's a 15 yard penalty. You cannot engage high and low with a defensive player when you're blocking for the offense. It has been a safety penalty forever. That should still be a penalty everywhere else. If a guy is engaged, you can't just come dive in as legs, come in and get him high, come in and get him around the waist. That's fine. You're going to come in and dive below his knee or at his knee. That should be a penalty. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a safety issue on the line, but it's a safety issue everywhere else, too. Yeah. So I think it was reckless. Yeah. I think it was reckless. And Minka's a total fucking asshole.
2: Okay. Yep. All right. Perfect. Jed? Uh, well, my asshole. I'd be, I I thought, uh, the you know, I figured it was going to be a unanimous, unesimous uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uranus. So uh, Uranus. So I have been drinking a lot of beer.
4: Um, drinking liquid death ain't beer.
2: <laughs> it's going to be uh <laughs> uh where was I at? Yeah, no, I I thought the unanimous thing was going to be Minka, so I thought of something different that I was going to mention here. Uh Lauren Bolbert. Lauren Bolbert is, is my asshole of the week. Not because of the not because of the felt up video, that was actually pretty hot, but the fact that she was vaping <laughs> in the theater, the fact that she was vaping in the theater around a pregnant chick and like she asked her to stop and she like turns around and goes, "Ma'am, no," like gives her the finger and then gets kick- and then gets kicked out of uh, there because she was vaping in front of a pregnant lady like how much of an asshole can you be when she's like yeah. uh listen I'm pregnant could you stop blowing your smoke right at my face yeah so lauren bulbert you're an asshole uh not because of the hot video you made but because you vaped
4: in front of a pregnant lady okay uh yeah uh yeah i what a weird I got place not, for all that to happen to like, I'm not yeah, like a movie. Not, I feel like is one thing, but like a theater. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah, you, know
1: the, you know, the actors can see you guys, right? Spoiler alert.
4: Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. She's going to be my cheers of the week too.
1: Anyway, her, boy, her boyfriend <laughs> with full boobs grab, like double handed oh, yeah. boobs grab. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, it, was like a first date. it was a first date. I don't give a shit who it was that I'm like, the actors can see you like they're yeah. right there they're right there yeah the best part about it was he was a democratic like mayor or something i don't, I don't know it's amazing the politics I, I, this this show is never going to get into politics no it's not i can't i don't want to uh, this no. is not
2: but like i said spoiler alert she's going to be my cheers too so you just wait for that
4: it's my favorite yeah, well, word to say by the way boobs spoiler alert oh
1: all right <laughs> say that one like five times fast.
4: No, no. no.
3: <laughs>
4: great combination.
1: Those are our assholes of the week. Now we're going to get into somebody. Uh, we're going to get into a conversation yeah. with somebody that is not an asshole at all. Again, we, we've been on this kick of talking to people that have been real early mm-hmm. guests of ours, and uh, we're going to get back to one more. We've got one more special guest, we got one more interview to play. If you're a Browns fan, you totally want to tune into this because it is awesome. Chad and I had a, com- a chance to have a conversation with a guy that played defensive back for the Cleveland Browns from the mid-80s to 1990, a guy that went 9-3 and three against the Pittsburgh Steelers, a guy that was a part of all those infamous Cleveland Browns teams, and just a really, really good dude. I am so excited to show you guys this interview that we did with Felix Wright to talk about the Browns, to talk about where they're at, to talk about the game against the Steelers, and just to share some more stories. So we're going to send it over to that, and then we will be back to wrap up episode 181. Enjoy this one, everybody. All right, now we are very excited to be joined by one of our first ever guests from back in 2020, over three years ago. I want to say he was like the third or fourth guest we, fourth guest we ever had on the podcast. Uh, we were so excited to have him on back then. We're so excited to have him back on now. I played for the Browns in the 80s. Uh, Part of some of those great, great Browns teams, defensive back, uh, an awesome player, an awesome ambassador for the Cleveland Browns as well. Welcome back in Felix Wright. Felix, welcome back into the Garage Beers podcast.
5: All right. Hey, I appreciate the invite. I look forward.
1: Yeah, man, it's good to see you again. It's always good to talk to a former Brown on Steelers week. I know it's the day after the game. The Browns fell yesterday to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to talk about the game for a minute. in a game, the way that that game went last night, where not only do the Cleveland Browns lose, but they lose a guy that really is a heart and soul player for the team in Nick Chubb to a really devastating knee injury. When you're a player and you're on a team like that, what does that do to the mood of the team out on the field?
5: Oh, I tell you what, it that was that was tough on me to even watch that, and then obviously and see the. You know they obviously didn't play the replay, but you know on the internet they had to replay, and it just looked nasty. And you just kind of felt bad for him, but I, I was kind of a little ticked off at the uh, safety for going that low on him, you know. But uh, I, I don't know. It it, 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 you know, the morale, it it, it, it affected all the guys. I, I would say because he is the heart and soul of that, thing. And he had a great game going. Um, but you know the the ford and uh strong man they really picked up the picked up the pace uh and it wasn't it wasn't because of them that we lost that game because uh i think they played very well uh and you know in replace of uh of nick now felix uh you know talk about that uh, you you
2: know Yes, we lost Chubbett, but you know you were a defensive guy. Talk about that defensive effort last night. I mean, these throughout these first two games, this Browns defense is is looking elite. Just talk about that and what you think about the addition of Jim Schwartz and the whole scheme. Just the defense as a whole through these first two weeks. What do you think?
5: I, I think I think the defense has played excellent. They've been hyped. Uh, they they're, they're the reason why I think that we're in the position that we're obviously, the first game, you know, they only gave up twelve points last last night you know, the offense gave up two touchdowns. They gave up 14 points. And if, uh, you know, if we eliminate those two turnovers, you know, for touchdowns, you know, we win the game. So, you know, going into this game, my my, my thought process is that if, uh, if we can get the offense going, you know, we should have no problem winning this game. But uh, our offense is still struggling. And uh, I don't understand why. But like I said, Nick Chubb was off to a good start, but – you know, with the turnovers, are just a, a killer uh, for us right now. Uh, Deshaun's got to play better. I think that's obvious. I think everybody knows that. But the defense, I think, is playing as well as they can play. You know, we're knocking down passes. We're intercepting passes. You know, we're getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, uh, last year, I think the defense was to crutch, and I think this year they really they've uh, they uh, they've picked it up, and, uh, and I'm proud of. them. I, th- I think
1: they're they're playing like the old dogs now. Hey, I, I want to dive in a little bit more on the defensive backs uh, because and who knows better than you. But uh, I do want to go back to something you just said because I was really interested in your take on this. As a former defensive back, you talked about the hit from uh, Minka Fitzpatrick to Nick Chubb, the hit that ends up taking Chubb out for the season. When you're a defensive back, and you've got a guy like Nick Chubb, and you went up against your fair share of pretty good running backs back in yeah. the 80s in a very physical style of play that was mm-hmm. the NFL back in the 80s. Right. Do you – is that a play that you look at as a guy that came from your era and say, man, he shouldn't have done that? Or is it just so well, fast that you just don't – you know, it's just he's trying to get the guy down and, and an injury happens?
5: Yeah, I I, I don't think he – excuse me, I don't think he intentionally did it. but. If you look at it, his head was down. He wasn't looking where he was hitting. And he just went straight at his kneecap. I mean, his shoulder pad. I mean, that low. Plus, you know, Nick had already had somebody. He was already going down on, on the tackle anyway. But, um, you know, we're, we're taught to, you know, hit between the numbers with your head up, your face mask. You know, because if you bring your arms, your head comes up along when you make the tackle. And he, he did not do that. He was he went in basically with a, uh, a spear and he went in helmet first, shoulder pad first <clears throat> into his knee, which, like I said, I don't think it was dirty. I think it was one of those bang, bang plays, but I mean, he's a veteran and uh, we, we've had some big guys that we had to tackle as well. And we, you know, we had to tackle guys like Kevin Mack and Ernest Biner in practice, yeah, you know, right. at tra- at training camp. And, uh, uh, Marty Schottenheimer was, uh, he was an expert at tackling, and uh, and we we were very good tacklers back in the day, and that's because we practiced it every day as well. And uh, these guys these days they they only hit a couple times a year in practice, and so if you don't ever if you don't ever practice it, you're not gonna you're not gonna do it well. And I think that's that's just a part of the game now that they don't practice tackling. And if you, you know, and I I know why, because of the concussion situation. But, uh, you know, you're not going to be very good at it. So you do anything you can just to get a guy down. And, you know, with as powerful as Nick Chubb is, you just try and get him down any kind of way. And like I said, I don't think he meant to do that. Uh, But, you know, you know, being on the other end, being a Browns fan and a former player, you just hate to see that happen.
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, you know, obviously Steeler week, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really curious because just uh, I, obviously huge rivalry. I wouldn't call it as intense as it was back in the eighties when you played. Uh, but, you know, take me back to that time, take me back to Lakeland college, you know, training camp or, or practicing and, you know, for real, what did, when it came to Steeler Week, are there any stories that stand out that you can tell, obviously? Obviously, I know something's <laughs> got to stay in the vault. But, like, yeah. are there any stories, like, whether it be in practice or during that week, or was it, like, a personal, like, altercation on the field, like some trash talking? What was – are there any stories that stand out to you about just playing the Steelers specifically?
5: Oh, well, you know, the Steelers, you know, when you first come here, you don't really kind of – you don't really understand it until you actually play in a game. But – uh we were taught that uh, that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers was the team that uh, that was our biggest rival as far as the history goes and 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 stuff like that. That uh, it's an important game. And it's a game that we must win. And I remember the first game we played against the Steelers in Pittsburgh. They they beat us, and I remember that they they brought some dirt from Cleveland Brown Stadium and put it put it on the field there at three rivers (laughs) is what it was called at the time. And I'm like, and I'm like, wow, that's different. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, you know, back in the eighties, we had a lot of success against the Steelers. I guess they were kind of down at that particular time, but the the game I most remember is when we went in and we smacked them 51 to nothing, which is, uh, you know, we skunked them and we, we wore them out. Uh, but it's 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 a big game and like I said, we you know, we we got a bunch of young cats on our team now, especially especially on defense. You know, they don't I don't think they'll really truly understand until they get a couple years under their belt on how serious uh, the fans take this. And I, I would think it's kind of more of a, a rival with fans than it is really the ball players, because you know, you got you know, ball players that are young that are coming up that don't really understand it, but the fans understand it and the fans and what matters.
4: Oh
2: yeah. I mean, it's definitely not as intense as it was back then for sure. Like, but I hear you about the fans. Like I, I was, ta- I told this story many times, but I remember walking uh, from the muni lot to, to the stadium back in the eighties there. And my uncles are throwing firecrackers at the feet of Steeler fans because it
5: just <laughs> yeah. it was just,
2: there was true hatred between fans
5: that back. Then. Oh, it, it, it wasn't good. And I've had, I've had a uh, family go to Pittsburgh for the, for the Browns Steeler game and, they said they'd never go back. So, so That's it, it, it's pretty brutal if you walk into either, you know, if you walk into Pittsburgh with Brown's uh, outfit on, it's not going to be pleasant. And it's the same when you come to the Cleveland Brown Stadium. If you're wearing a Steeler stuff, you're going to get heckled, you're going to get bothered. And, uh, and, and if it's not going well on the Brown side, you're going to probably get beat up. So. Felix, I wanna I wanna spend the
1: last couple minutes we got with you talking a little bit more specifics about this year's team, especially the defensive backs. I know it's it's I really anticipated when we set up this interview that we were all gonna be in a really good mood today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know and it's a little hard after what happened last night, but it there is. are there are still a lot of positives. I want to focus specifically on the defensive backfield. I want to focus specifically on Denzel Ward and MJ Emerson and Greg Newsome and 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 thornhill and delpit and mcleod and these guys that it's got to be in my opinion the best collection of defensive backs that the browns have had potentially since you were playing for the cleveland browns just talk about how they look this year compared to last year the scheme from jim schwartz how it's really letting them get into more man coverage and how they seem to be thriving in that role
5: well i would agree with you uh you know, we, we, we had a hell of a defense back in the back in the 80s. And, you know, when you have the, the best two corners shut down corners in the league, it's, it, it makes it a lot easier for the rest of the defense, which, you know, with Hamford Dixon and Frank Minifield. And I think we got two pretty good corners, you know, in Denzel and Emerson and, and Newsom. I think they're they really came a long way from even last year. Uh, you know, Denzel's been a pro bowler for the last couple of years. So, he's, he's a proven product, but, you know, Newsom has is, 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 is came on, I think, at 100%. And Emerson is only in his second year, and he's playing like a veteran as well that makes plays. And then, you know, you got Thornhill, and you got Delphi that, that uh, you know, Thornhill had the interception in Kansas City in preseason. That was pretty impressive. And then, you know, Thornhill, he got the interception yesterday. I wish he had kept his feet so he could have scored. He would have, too. Yeah, yeah, he would have definitely scored. But – you know, and the enthusiasm they show, you know, when they, when they, when they make a good play, Uh, you can tell that they're a close knit group and that's what you need to have a successful defense and actually, you know, to be on the same page. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, along with the great play of our, of our, of our corners, you know, I think that, you know, with the pressure that we've gotten on the quarterback these last couple of weeks has really helped them, uh, and you know when you get that pressure, that means you don't have to cover that receiver as long. And uh, and it, it, as as you saw as the game went on, when we didn't get pressure, you know they had to cover longer, and they began to you know you know get some some open wide receivers there at the end of the game. But I think that was because uh, you know defensively, I think they got a little tired in the end because our offense was just sputtering. It was terrible. So, but. I, I i hope they figure that out on offense uh because that's you know i i i blamed that on them last night uh you know for, for the loss because they like i said they gave up 14 points and there's nothing the defense can do about that so if 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 uh if our defense only gives up 10 to 10 to 14 points a game uh we should be we winning in a lot of games because we we you know we got the personnel to you know with you know our offense we have the personnel that we should be scoring 20 to 30 points a game so sure. uh you know so that that's my feeling on it but i think I, the defense that we have is is a defense that can uh you know t- take us to the playoffs um but like i said on offense we got we got to pick it up and I, you know you know they traditionally they say that the defense starts off faster than the offense normally but you can't tell me that San Francisco would tell you that right now, because San Francisco's playing real well the last two games, and so is uh, the Baltimore Ravens. So uh, we got we got to get it figured out on offense. And if you know once once uh, Deshaun gets it going, then there's going to be no stopping it because if he puts points on the board for us, the defense is going to be able to hold hold those people down and and uh, you know make it happen.
2: Felix, what do you what do you think has changed this year? Because you know it's, um, you know, the last couple of years, this these defensive backs, Grant Delp, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, they've been here a couple of years now, so you would think the continuity would be there. But those first couple of years, all you heard was you know you saw a bunch of blown coverages, you saw a bunch of miscommunications. What do you think changed yeah. this year so far? Because through two weeks, I'll tell you what. It looks like this defense has been together for 10 years these these first two
5: weeks. What do you think has changed this year? I think, I think, I think obviously the, I think obviously the coaching, the coaching uh, philosophy has changed. Um, You know, I think in the last couple of years uh, with the, you know, with the other coordinator, uh, he was a little more conservative, uh, more of a zone type guy, uh, you know, a little more predictable, I think Schwartz is obviously, you know, he's came in, he's changed up the culture. He's a lot more aggressive. Uh, and he's, I think that's, that's the key is that he's just a lot more aggressive and he's got better personnel as well. Yeah. Um, you know, that personnel that they that they brought in this, this year is a lot better than what we've had in the years past. So that makes a big difference as well to, to you know, to make you more aggressive because if you don't have that speed up front, you know, Miles Garrett and Smith; those guys are are fantastic coming off the ball and uh, and getting to the quarterback with the pressure. So, but you know, along with the coaching and along with the, you know the front office bringing in some some uh, some faster and and uh, better equipped uh, defensive linemen is has uh, made us into a a contender. You know, defensive wise. Uh, I think, you know, we've played as well as any of the other defenses have played this season so far, you know, the jets have been touted as a, a very good defense. Uh, uh, I think the dolphins were touted as being a very good defense, but I, I you know, I, in fact, I, I, watch Stephen a on first take every day, every, every week, every, every day when I'm in Cleveland and, uh, he was talking about those Browns last week. He's not going to be talking about them this week because of the loss. But he was talking about that defense on how well we've done, and uh, I think it's a, it's a combination of the front office bringing in key people and Schwartz obviously being aggressive. And Schwartz has been, you know, he was with the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. He was a coordinator there, so he knows what it takes to to get to to the big game. Uh, so he's he's uh, he's paid for himself, you know. Yes. By coming in now, now, uh, Stefanski and the offense needs to uh figure it out and, and uh and uh, get it together. Uh, he these next two games are gonna I think, I think it's gonna be real important to his uh future. Yeah, well, I was you gonna know. ask you, Felix,
1: the, the last question I had for you before we let you get back to your day. Uh, it's been a, a, a tale of a super high when the Browns came out and dominated the Bengals week one, and a super low where you not only lose to the Steelers, which is something, again, you didn't do a lot of nine and three against the Steelers in your career. Uh, yeah. nine and three, only, we were. Not you were nine and three in your career, uh, with the Browns <laughs> against the Steelers. Uh, okay, but not only do you lose to the Steelers, but the offense sputters and you lose Nick Chubb for the season. So going into the rest of this season, if you're one of these leaders, if you're a guy that's expected to be a leader on this team, what's the message? How do you make sure? Because it feels pivotal. It feels like either these guys could kind of fold because some pretty bad stuff happened in this last game, or they can use it as motivation to kind of jump out for the rest of the year and play well. What do you say as a leader
5: on the team to make sure that's what happens? Oh, I I definitely think that uh, somebody needs to step up. Um, uh, and I don't, you know what, I don't know who that person should be to step up. You know, I, I want to, I want to say mild gear, but I mean, he's, the, he's, the, he's, he's not that, he's not that, that dude, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking maybe, I'm thinking maybe Smith or, or maybe even the, the Walker, the middle linebacker, a guy that, uh, you know, that, that will get in your face and, uh, you know, just, you know, get out and talk and tell them what we got to do. Uh, somebody needs to have a talk with Watson, you know, to, you know, we, we got to get this thing going because uh, if not, it's going to get away from us and it's not going to be a good thing. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I don't know who that guy would be on offense uh, that's real aggressive, but you you know, you, you need that, that Eddie Johnson, uh, you know, Mike Johnson uh, you know, or Dick Buckus or, you know, that kind of uh, mentality guy is going to step up and kind of take control of that team. I, 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 I you know, Stefanski's, I, 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 you know, I like him as a, as a person, but I, I just don't, I don't think he's that guy that's going to get in your face. I, I want him so badly sometimes when we get bad calls to get in the referee's face and he just won't do it. But uh, he's got to figure out that offense I, I would rather him give up that play calling and let the let the coordinator be the coordinator, but he chose not to do it. And I think that's going to either make him or break him here in the next couple of weeks. We'll find out, hopefully make him,
1: because nobody wants to go through another head coaching search for the Cleveland yeah, Browns. <laughs> I know. Hopefully they get it figured out. Felix Wright, we're going to let you get back to your day. It's good All catching right, up with you, man. It's good seeing you after a few years. Uh, legendary Cleveland Browns uh, defensive back, Felix Wright. Thank you so much for Appreciate taking time. Appreciate it, man. To Take nice care. On. Go All right. Browns! All right. Felix Wright from the from the dog pound, the original dog pound, Ooh, the yeah. the OG dog pound. Felix Wright played yeah. with Hanford Dixon and Frank Minnifield, and
2: when, when everybody was sitting in those corporate bleachers,
1: them yeah, them corporate bleachers. <laughs> Nah, yeah. Felix, you know what, Felix Wright's a good dude uh, Again, I think he was on like episode 4 or 5 Or, or one of those with us And I have to tell you When we landed an interview with Felix Wright In episode 4 or 5 of Garage Beers In 2020 We, we threw like a party. Chad and we, boys, we like threw a party We were like, we're getting Felix Wright on this is amazing. amazing. Uh, and Felix Wright, uh, he always comes through. The dude is, he's, a, he's one of the nicest guys, but he's also one of the best guys to just kind of talk the basic in and outs of football and scheme. And I love some of the things he said. Boys, my biggest takeaway of Felix Wright, and I, I think it's the thing that we don't, that didn't get talked about last night, but I think he's so right on this. We're all going to call Minka Fitzpatrick an asshole, and rightly so. Rightly so after the, after what he did to Nick Chubb last night. Yeah. But I love Felix Wright's point in that, in that interview that these guys don't practice tackling. It's like back in the eighties, we wouldn't tackle like, you know, you think it was a more physical game or whatever. And it was, but it was, they, they didn't do things like that back then. It wasn't the same, you know, maybe you had a guy you know, Felix Wright, just known for his hit on Don Beebe, or you'd have guys kind of flipping guys over their shoulder. That's a different situation, but you didn't have guys diving at each other's legs as they were engaged with other people. It just didn't happen like that because they practiced tackling. Right. And you didn't see guys throw their heads back and just put their entire weight of their body uh, on their shoulders and their back and just dive into a guy's knees. You didn't see that because that's not how you got taught to tackle. Right. And they don't do that anymore because they don't practice tackling enough anymore. And good point. And, and you think about when you talk about how they limit tackling and practice as a preventative measure to help avoid injuries and concussions and stuff, but maybe just, maybe preventing tackling in practice, or at least, a decent amount of practicing tackling in practice is leading to uh, the same number of catastrophic injuries, like the one we saw last night with Nick Chubb. That, yeah. that I thought that was a great point by Felix. Right?
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think it's. Uh, I mean, you see it. You see it with all the arm tackling and, and shoulder tackling now. Like it's just you see, you've got literally you see guys try to. Shoulder a guy to the ground instead of you know form t- putting your putting your head on the helmet on the ball and, and wrapping up and driving them into the ground. Nope, nope. It's it's a lot of di- a lot of times it's just them trying to drag guys to the ground. Now, so
4: yeah, yeah, I totally agree.
1: That's it. All right, uh, so boys, wall to wall episode. Three special guests. We got them all in relatively on time. Uh, yeah. So shout out to all of them. Uh, our last segment of the night. We did our asshole of the week before we got to call people out for being assholes. Now we're going to do our three cheers of the week where we send it around the horn. And we just talk about people that deserve to be recognized for doing good things, uh, whether it's in sports or life or whatever. So let's send it around the horn for three cheers of the week before we get out of here. Uh, Chad, why don't you start us off? Sure.
2: Yeah. Uh, my cheers of the week goes to Lauren Belbert. Uh, <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, uh, you dropped out of high school because you had a baby, most likely in a movie theater. Uh, so you oh. just kind of wanted to relive those days uh, of being in a theater. Yeah, you know, you know, just getting felt up, right? Yeah, you just, you just wanted to go back to those days. I mean, we've all been there. I get it. Have all right, I? we've all been there, right? Who hasn't made <laughs> out in a movie theater, or you know, have gotten you know, have gotten, you know. We've gotten felt up in a movie. know who hasn't done it in, in their younger years at a high school. Yeah, so yeah, good, good on you. Good on you. And and the different angles, I mean, that's more on the people who are releasing the video. But way to go. <laughs> Cheers to you for reliving your high school days.
4: The angle.
1: <laughs> Beetlejuice. Imagine Beetlejuice up on the stage looking down and just seeing Lauren Bovert getting grabbed by <laughs> yeah. both hooters. Yeah. Oh, fuck.
4: Was Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice!
1: Uh... Wait, 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 wait! I'm watching this. I'm watching this. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Maybe that was her crush. Her celebrity crush is Beetlejuice.
3: Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that,
1: that would that would make a lot of sense. Uh, all right, so Bobert getting felt up in the theater is the cheer. That's Good for you. Something. God, bravo, bravo. <laughs> yeah. All right, Joe. What about you?
4: Uh, I want to cheers Dion Sanders and Colorado State Buffaloes because like I I wasn't really buying into what was going on there but like literally hearing the way that he talks about the team and like the mentality he's trying to instill and like the whole you know some of it's definitely cocky and arrogant or whatever but like I don't know it's it's a it's a cool way to it's it's a fresh take on college football that's I think pretty refreshing um I think the Saturday night game was the highest, most watched uh, ESPN college football game ever. And so like, it's cool kind of see what he's doing for the sport. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just watching these comments roll in about getting felt up in a, in a, (laughs) in a movie theater. Yeah. see, See? Or, or in Bobert's case, just a regular theater where the people can see you. Yeah, well, it does not uh, matter. It's a theater. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think, I think Joe, I think for me, Deion Sanders is going to consistently for me be the asshole and the Cheers of the week because sure, I, I do. I, I'm, I'm very conflicted he, about it, but it's. I love the way he motivates good and his bad. team. I love the way he motivates his team. I love the way he brings that shit works, and they yep, listen works. to him and they get fired up by him, and a hundred percent. He is such a motivator.
4: Yeah.
1: At the same time, he brings so much attention that now everything is a bigger deal and it's a fucking obnoxious. Like, yeah, Rocky Balboa says it here: dirtier hit. Minka or the kid from CSU. This kid from CSU is getting death threats now. This kid from CSU, they're acting like this is the dirtiest hit that's ever been made in football. It's not. No. It's not, not.
4: Not even close. Not, I didn't see anything like, inherently wrong. But, like, I mean, eh, yeah.
2: But it's all... The only all, thing was yeah, wrong with it was like, late. It was late. That's yeah, the only thing that was wrong with that
1: hit. It's a penalty hit. That's it. And the guy got hurt. Yeah. And that sucks. But, like, because it's Dion's team and it's got the attention now, now that is overblown. It, like, it's just going to be obnoxious. Everything with Dion's team is going to get overblown. Yeah. But he's also awesome at, like buying everybody i love how he yeah. went on he bought everybody the glasses but he bought it for like when he went on like the media tour he was giving all the reporters glasses i love that shit about dion but like yeah, it's yeah. gonna get really old the the things that get overblown because it happens to a dion team is gonna yeah. get old as shit really fast
2: yeah and it'll be it'll it, it might it might die down when they're three and two after these next two weeks yeah so. for sure
4: <laughs> yeah it was it usc and uh notre dame Oregon
1: and then USC. Yeah,
4: Oregon gotta,
1: USC. Yeah. One. Uh, All right. So uh, my cheers of the week. I've got two of them. One. Uh, well, they'll both be quick. Um, I, I, I got to give a cheers to my wife. It was her birthday this last weekend. So you can't let your wife's birthday go by without giving a cheers. I do. Uh, so, I, well, fucking <laughs> you would. You would. Uh, <laughs> so cheers to my wife for uh, another wonderful birthday. And then. My other cheers is chalk, but it's Nick Chubb. the Best running back in the league by far, by far, by the way, Nick Chubb is the best running back in the league by far. Mm -hmm. Um, And a guy who I, unless something really catastrophic happened that we don't know about yet, I think we'll be back next year in his contract year. uh, And I think he will perform and I still am on board Saying that I think Nick Chubb will get another contract with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and and I think he'll earn it. And I think he will make them realize that it was a good move after he gets it. So yeah. uh shout out to Nick Chubb, man. That, 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 that injury, there's 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 not there's few players in any league of professional sport that will elicit the response to an injury the way that Nick Chubb did yesterday across all levels. I mean, like just across everything. Yeah. The most the most respected, uh, the best representation of what we want a Cleveland Brown to be. Everything about Nick Chubb is the, I I, I'll, I'll leave it to OG Philly to say it might be the best human being in the uh, national football league or in any sport I'll say. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to Nick Chubb, man. We're all behind you. You're going to get that knee surgery done. Uh, if if Aaron Rodgers, if old man ayahuasca Aaron can get an Achilles surgery done and be back for playoff time, which again I love assuming he's just assuming they're gonna be in the playoffs. Uh old man Aaron can get his surgery done and be back. Uh Nick Chubb will be back, man. Nick, I don't know about this year.
4: news flash. Zach Wilson sucks.
1: Yeah, so bad. <laughs> so uh but bad. Nick Chubb and, will be and, back. So ch- and with up, every Nick.
2: and with every carry, Nick uh takes last year uh, next year it's gonna be oh no 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 okay he's good every every carry next year is gonna be like yeah. that
1: have you guys tried garage beers yet i sure have i sure have actually yeah hey maybe it's look for uh maybe look for more things from garage beers and garage beer yeah coming up in the near future i'll yeah. leave it at that i'll leave it at that we'll do a cliffhanger. all right let's get out of here uh let's the last order of business for us Uh, is always our thank yous. Our first thank you every week goes out to the OBR. Uh, The OBR hosts us. The best Cleveland Browns coverage in Cleveland or frankly anywhere happens on the OBR. Some great articles came out today. I got to give a shout out to Andrew Spade, wrote one of the best articles I think I've ever seen on the OBR. Go check out Andrew's article. Go check out all the rest of the work the guys do on the OBR. The rest of the week, tomorrow, tomorrow, Uh, Brad Ward is filling in for uh, Barry McBride and he, Brad and Fred Gritham are going to talk on OBR weekly. And then Brad will be back on Thursday for all eyes on Cleveland. Before we get into the Cleveland Browns on uh, Sunday, one o'clock against the Titans and the OBR will do the post game show after that at seven 30 on Sunday night as well. Our next thank you goes out to all of our special guests tonight. An incredible night of special guests, Gerard Cherry, from the next level on ESPN Cleveland and from the Cleveland Browns radio broadcast on the sidelines, shout out to Gerard, Todd Chirac, uh the vice president of communication for the blue jackets, just uh, an awesome dude. And uh, what a great interview that was. If you, if you, even if you don't love hockey or whatever, great interview. So shout out to Todd. And lastly, Felix Wright to close us out. Always good to talk uh, to the legend, Felix Wright, As he talked about his time with the Browns and what he thinks of the current team, shout out to Felix Wright as well. And lastly, as always, our biggest thank you goes out to all of you, whether you joined us live here tonight or whether you are tuning in wherever you catch your podcasts, or if you're watching us on demand, uh, we love you guys. We appreciate you guys. The support is overwhelming every single week and every single week we want to get better for you guys. So Shout out to you guys. Big thank you to you guys. That's going to do it for episode 181. So for Joey down in Nashville, Tennessee, for Chad over on the east side of Cleveland, I am Michael Keefe. We will see you next week for episode 182. Until then, go fucking Browns. And cheers, everybody.